Intro, let's do it. All right, Kim, <laughs> what do you have for us today? I wanted to talk today about edge computing. Angela, have you heard anything about edge computing? Oh, yes, actually, I have. I didn't really know what it was until about last year when I came to Red Hat. And, you know, now it's a topic of conversation. So I hear a lot about edge computing. So, yeah. This is one of those topics that I hear a lot of people talking about. But if I'm being honest with myself, I don't know that I could explain it. Cool. Well, I'm hoping to explain a little bit more about it then. And today, I wanted to use kind of an unconventional lens to take a look at edge computing. And what's that? Video games. All right, let's do it. Fantastic. This is Compiler. An original podcast from Red Hat. We're your hosts. I'm Brent Simino. And I'm Angela Andrews. We're here to break down questions from the tech industry, big, small, and sometimes strange. Today's question, what can video games teach us about edge computing? Producer Kim Huang is here to help us out. Okay, before I get into video games, and I promise this is going to pay off. I need to know something. Sure. What do you need? How many pizza places do you have near you? Too many. There's one on every corner almost. How about you, Brent? Yeah, I live in a city downtown and there are one, two, three, there are four pizza shops within a few blocks distance from me. Okay. So the reason I'm asking is because I spoke with Griffin Ash. My name is Griffin Ash. I'm a lead architect for Telco and Edge Computing here at Red Hat. And he had a really interesting way of explaining exactly how edge computing works. Conceptually, or at a very high level, the way we like to dissect or start as an entry point for edge computing is it's a movement of compute resources closer to the devices and people that produce and consume data. He basically gives an example of there being only two pizza spots in the entire country. If there were one or two large pizza shops on the East Coast and the West Coast only, the experience of me ordering, getting delivered, and then consuming a pizza probably wouldn't be that good. Let's play this out then. I'm hungry. I want to order a pizza. I call the East Coast pizza shop. What happens? If you lived close to the pizza shop, it would probably be a very normal experience. But for mostly everyone else, I guess they would take your order. You would tell them what toppings you wanted. You would tell them if you wanted any size or any drinks. They would package it all up, give it to a delivery person, and then that delivery person would take it to a plane or a train. Or a boat, I guess, depending on where you lived. <laughs> Yum, boat pizza. And it would take hours, maybe even days to get to you. And by the time that you got your pizza, I imagine it wouldn't be a, a very fresh, very hot meal. Edge computing does for data what 
the pizza shop down the street from my house does for my ability to consume pizza. So in the pizza metaphor, I end up with cold pizza, even though I'm hungry. What does that look like in the real world, though, like outside of this metaphor? So in the real world, edge computing moves data processing closer to the people that need it. Mm. And it's using devices that are already a part of the infrastructure. So users can get a much better experience because you don't have to send data back to a central site for processing, which can impact the performance of the application. Got it. So we have the core concept of what edge computing is. Let's transition a bit and talk about video games. All right. My name is Jared Sprague. So I spoke with Jared Sprague. I'm a uh, principal software engineer at Red Hat. And he really knows his craft. And he's also a member of the Gaming COP. And what is the Gaming COP? It's the Gaming Community of Practice. Think of it as not a formal team, but a group of people who are really enthusiastic about open source technology and gaming. Over the past few years, I've been lucky enough to have the opportunity to work on several game-related development projects at Red Hat, mostly around events. Jared and I talked a little bit about how Edge can help the experience in video games. And he talked about LAN parties for a little bit. (laughs) He went LAN parties? Yes. I've heard of those. What is a LAN party? Brent, a LAN party is when a bunch of people, usually friends, say about six or seven of them, will get together and run a game on a local server. So they'll all get together in the same space under the same roof and play a game together, run locally. Does that make sense? Got it. So a group of people in the same space and all of their computers are connected together. Exactly. And that is like the pinnacle of edge computing and gaming, in my opinion, because the two big killers in multiplayer gaming are latency and server load. And when you're in a LAN party, you've solved those two things because you have almost zero latency. And then you have like six to 10 people on a single server. So there's practically zero server load. Okay, let's define those really quickly. What is latency? Angela, do you want to take this one? Sure. So latency happens when you have to wait for data to come your way. Mm. So you're waiting and it can take milliseconds to actual seconds for something to come. That is what latency is. And what about server load? Server load is when the capacity of the server has been met and exceeded and it doesn't respond as it should because of said server load. It actually is bogged down. So that's what server load is. And LAN parties solve both of those problems. So these are really big problems in gaming. What does that look like in the real world? How does latency and server load issues show up when you're playing a game? Well, it shows up in a lot of ways. It could show up in the game client trying to constantly correct, right? So when you're playing a game, there's two sources of information. There's information coming from the game itself. So think of like the level that you're on if you're playing a platformer or the kind of characters that are in the game. And then there's information coming from the player. 
inputs that they're putting into whatever they're using to play a game, whether it's an actual controller or it's a keyboard. Those are two sources of information. And the game client is constantly trying to anticipate and correct Mm. based on those two data points, right? So sometimes when you'll play a game and you load it and you try to walk, and sometimes if you walk, it'll look like your character is not moving correctly mm-hmm. or your character is standing in one spot and then boop, it's standing in another spot. That's because the game client can't figure out where your character is on the server. Oh, so I'm curious now how edge computing could solve this. It basically makes it so that you have a virtual kind of LAN party. It makes it so that the load that would usually be on one server would be moved closer to the player themselves so that instead of having inputs having to travel so far, they don't have to travel as far. So, Kim, what else do you have for us? Well, in the case of edge computing. It's something that can potentially solve the two biggest problems that video game developers are constantly trying to address, right? So you have people who are playing against other people who are all over the world or across a continent, and their experiences can vary depending on whatever their internet connectivity is. How then can we make those experiences better? I spoke with Derek Reese. Hello, I'm Derek Reese. He's a principal engineer and another member of the gaming COP. Basically, he consults with other people, other Red Hatters, on industry processes and game systems architecture. He knows how games are made from start to finish, and he knows how to put together the code that runs the game itself, like tools and servers. All right, so what did Derek have to tell you, Kim? Okay, so he used a really popular game as an example. There's a a game that I'm sure you may have heard of that's Grand Theft Auto. I have heard of it. (laughs) Okay, great. It's a really big game, AAA, Uh very popular title. They have an online component of Grand Theft Auto, and it's very, very, very popular. Mm -hmm. It's a huge revenue source for the company. And a lot of the direction where the engineers spend their time is about what has the most impact of players. And so in that case, it's like keep the cash shop open, keep, you know, microtransactions working, make sure the servers are running, make sure that, you know, everybody can log in and they have their player experience the way they want it to. Make sure you're on top of cheaters and hackers and that sort of thing. And what does this have to do with edge computing? I'll explain that in just a second. If developers are so busy, with upkeep and maintenance on gaming experiences, they don't have too much time to do anything else. It turns out there was this bug. Where on certain systems, and especially on PCs with lower-end but multi-threaded processors, the game would take five to six minutes to load. And this is a game that in other modes, when you're not doing multiplayer, only takes about a minute maximum on these same systems. And so a lot of players are very frustrated by this. What was happening is during loading of the multiplayer arena, all of the items that you can purchase in the game, it would be stored in a JSON file and the code to load the JSON file essentially was so inefficient and got hung up on that file that it would take five minutes on a single core to work through it. 
it was something that was a relatively easy fix. But because the engineers were so busy with everything else, they just couldn't get around to it. Finally, it was actually one of the players. They got so fed up, they took out their debugging tools, figured out what was happening, and fixed the game. So the thing about edge computing, what makes this related, is edge computing moves some of the processing closer to the player. In theory, that could free up development teams to focus on bugs and issues, like this one. Not having to spend so much time maintaining the online experience, they could use that time to focus on other things. Oh, okay. So that makes a lot of sense. So what else did Derek tell you about, Kim? Well, a lot. So I want to go through really quickly, Brent, and kind of break down exactly what happens when you press a button on your controller. Okay. Okay. So the first thing you do, press a button to move your character forward. Uh Uh-huh. It goes through the game locally. It gets processed, and then it gets put into something called a packet. That packet goes out through the home user's internet connection that gets routed to the ISP. The ISP is then going to work through its, if there's existing peering agreements, then yay, it gets things to where they need to go a lot faster. But in most cases, right, you're going to get kind of bounced around based on what the ISP thinks is the most efficient path to the destination server, which is usually hosted at the game company or in a warehouse or increasingly these days on something like AWS. So whatever your request is, in this case, it would be moving your character forward. That has to travel all the way back from the server to your processor. And so this is kind of the equivalent of, say, the East Coast pizza shop, right? Yes. So imagine the pizza delivery guy trying to put into his GPS the fastest way to get to your house. (laughs) And maybe the fastest way is a highway with tolls. Maybe it's a highway with no tolls. Maybe it's an older state road with a lot of curves. Maybe it's a mountain back road. It could be a number of different ways to get there, but whatever way that that person takes, it's going to impact the amount of time that you have to wait for your pizza to get there. So it has to go a great distance and that can take some time. Like, what is the alternative? Well, when we're talking about edge, we're kind of circumventing all that. So if you're on your mobile phone, Instead of a mobile phone communicating wirelessly to the closest tower and then from the tower to an ISP and from that ISP to the game company after it gets routed all over the place, instead your signal makes it to the tower and then there's a box that's on that tower or you know at the next building over. So you're no longer getting routed all the way to the ISP, but before you even get there, your destination is available and some computational items can just be calculated and sent right back to you with like a, you know, essentially a microserver, in this case, microservices, right, that are responsible for things that don't need to go back to the main server or can be asynchronously connected to the server over time. So maybe when things are less busy, right, that data can be synced back upstream. These edge accounts could work for like a real-time strategy game like StarCraft, where the AI runs on a player's computer and it's a pretty intensive load. So if the load is intensive and the player's computer is processing everything locally, you're going to run into kind of an upward limit as to what that AI can do. But if you offload that to a server in some type of edge infrastructure, all of a sudden you can play StarCraft against a very sophisticated AI. 
Oh, wow. So it ends up providing this really interesting and robust gameplay as well for end users, right? It definitely broadens the, well, pardon the pun, the playing field when it comes to gaming experiences. Wow, that's so cool. I want to return us to our original question. What can video games teach us about edge computing? And I'm wondering what you think, Kim. I think that video games are a really good potential use case because they already have these kind of challenges built in into what they do. So they already have issues with processing information, with trying to balance internet connectivity between two different points or sometimes multiple points on a map or in the world. So they're already a very good, rich use case for Edge to really make a big impact on the way that they do business and the way that they make games. So there's a lot of implications there. That's kind of why I wanted to talk about edge computing in that lens. Mm. This is one of those terms that I hear a lot of people talking about. What other industries could this potentially revolutionize? Well, I see a lot of innovation happening with edge computing in healthcare. Mm. I see it happening in education. I see it happening in transportation. I mean, I don't think there is an industry out there that couldn't benefit from being able to put data closer to the people who need to use it. I see edge becoming more and more prolific in a lot of these industries just for that reason. There's tons of use cases across all of these verticals where Edge could really be able to move data out of their data centers closer to the people that need it. And that does it for this episode of Compiler. Today's episode was produced by Kim Wong. Victoria Lawton makes sure this show has a pizza place on every single corner. So it's just like a land party. Our audio engineer is Christy Chan. Special thanks to Sean Cole. Our theme song was composed by Marianne Chetta. Big, big thanks to our guests, Griffin Ash, Jared Sprague, and Derek Reese. Also, a special thank you to Red Hat's Gaming COP. They were a big help putting together today's show. And you can check out their collection of community-built games at arcade.redhat.com. Our audio team includes Lee Day, Laura Barnes, Claire Allison, Nick Burns, Aaron Williamson, Karen King, Boo Boo House, Rachel Ortel, Mike Compton, Ocean Matthews, and Laura Walters. If you like today's show, please follow us for future episodes. We would love to see you here next time. Love, love, love. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye, y'all. Thanks, everybody. Hi, I'm Mike Ferris, Chief Strategy Officer and longtime Red Hatter. I love thinking about what happens next with generative AI. But here's the thing. Foundation models alone don't add up to an AI strategy. And why is that? Well, first, models aren't one size fits all. 
You have to fine-tune or augment these models with your own data, and then you have to serve them for your own use case. Second, one and done isn't how AI works. You've got to make it easier for data scientists, app developers, and ops teams to iterate together. And third, AI workloads demand the ability to dynamically scale access to compute resources. You need a consistent platform, whether you build and serve these models on-premise, or in the cloud, or at the edge. This is complex stuff, and Red Hat OpenShift AI is here to help. Head to redhat.com to see how.